0: Connecting for positive change.
1: Hello and welcome to this fifth episode of Net Zero Talks podcast series brought to you by Innovate UK KTN. I'm Neillam Banks, Knowledge Transfer Manager for Place and the lead for Net Zero Place's Innovation Network, which is a two year flagship programme dedicated to support local and regional authorities and agencies to connect, collaborate, inform, share experiences and lessons learned in order to adopt innovation and to level up across the UK. Before I introduce our guest today, let me tell you a bit more about this podcast series and the Innovation Network. The Net Zero Talks podcast series has been created to hear from the experts and other local authorities on the challenges to reach Net Zero. So basically, we work with authorities to help identify the challenges to meet Net Zero, promote these challenges to our engaged innovators across sectors and to collaborate with public buying organisations to make sure these solutions are procurement ready. Our goal is to provide practical insights into different topics on how to achieve net zero in places. Also, before deep diving into the topic today, if you haven't already, please go to the Innovate UK KTN website through the link in the description and sign up to receive our newsletters and updates on all of our activities. You'll also find any of our past episodes and future podcast series there too. In this episode, we ask our guests, what are the common challenges to meet net zero? Let me introduce you to our special guest today. We've got Peter Good, Goody, um, John Taylor, and Paul Kemp, who are all energy project managers at the Greater Southeast Net Zero Hub. Paul, Peter, and John, thank you so much for joining us today, really appreciate your time. Um, before we start, would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, first off, Paul, did you want to go?
2: Hi, yes, um, my name's Paul Kemp. I'm an energy projects manager for the Greater South East Net to Zero Hub. Um, I cover um, geographically the south west corner of the Greater South East, so um, Oxfordshire, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire, and um, the north of Hampshire and west of Surrey. I also lead on a lot of the sort of engagement work that we do um, within London, as well as on specific work streams um, across all the Greater South East around um, transport decarbonisation
3: and public sector estate decarbonisation.
1: Thanks, Paul. Um, over to you, Peter.
3: Hi, Neelam. I'm Peter Guddy. Uh, I'm also an Energy Project Manager at the uh, Net Zero Hub uh, covering the, the Norfolk, Suffolk and Essex area of the hub. Uh, I lead on uh, specific issues around uh, network capacity and constraint and also um, some of the financial assessments that we undertake. And Previously, I worked in a local authority... Uh, for a couple of dec- decades or so around sustainable energy, fuel poverty and other programmes associated with um, sustainability and climate change.
0: Yes, I'm John Taylor from the Greater South East Net Zero Hub, do the same role as uh, Peter and Paul. My um, focus mainly on the areas south of the Thames. Um, yeah, I've got about 15 years of experience working as a climate change and renewable energy advisor with local authorities um, and also focus quite a lot on the community energy
2: space as well.
1: Thanks, John. So let's go into the questions. So Paul, firstly, to provide a bit of context, could you tell us a little bit about the Net Zero Hubs?
2: Yes, of course. Yeah. So the Greater Southeast Net Zero Hub, we're one of five Net Zero Hubs. Um, we're funded by the government um, through um, the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Department. And the old remit of the hubs is that we were set up um, off the back of the um, declaration of um, Net Zero and we're sort of here to basically increase the number and scale and quality of net zero projects across England. Um, and the sorts of projects that you know, we we support could include solar farms, electric vehicle charge infrastructure, um, heat networks, as well as public building decarbonisation. Um, we're working all across the hubs, um, the, the, the um, five uh, with all the other five hubs, um, with local energy project pipeline that's worth over four billion pounds, um, and this is, and this includes over two hundred or so major projects. Um, we primarily, in terms of our approach, we work with um, public sector organisations as well as um, the stakeholders um, linked to these. So um, the NHS, um, health services, um, emergency services, um, to try and um, identify uh, projects which are sort of not. So, which are basically struggling to um, move forward. And this could be down to a wide range of issues. It could be um, due to um, financial issues, resource issues, staffing issues. Um, and we are here effectively as a, as a resource to try and um, help to drive those um, projects forward. Um, so we work, you know, on individual projects as well as across different themes. And our very, our approach is very much a place based um, initially from a local energy perspective, but then as of... Um, sort of April this year, our scope has widened to sort of now capture net zero projects just beyond local traditional energy. Um, so this could include nature-based solutions uh, and areas such as carbon offsetting. So in terms of how we do that, um, as I mentioned, you know, we're a free resource um, to the public sector and we provide expertise and this is up through our technical knowledge that we've got within the team here, um, the contacts that we've got our specific um, software tools and other um, different applications um what we do with this is that you know we can fulfill a wide range of roles in that support Um, this includes for example being a critical friend um, to the project delivery team within the local authority we do a lot of stakeholder engagement as well as you know some initial financial and commercial um, uh, sort of assessment of of projects to uh, help to um, assess what their viability is Um, this could also um and as well as this we're also helping accessing finance and funding um, and what we try to do as well is, is share our learning across the public sector in our region and wider areas so you know we're not we really want to sort of try and help local authorities to be able to and other public sector organizations for that matter be able to talk each other to talk to each other to share learning and understanding particularly where projects have either been really successful or where they've got really good practice or also where um, they're struggling to um or where a specific solution or opportunity hasn't worked. Um, We also support um, community energy as well through local authorities and social enterprise voluntary sector. Um, They're bringing quite a lot of uh, innovation forward around new models for um, local energy.
1: Thanks Paul. Um, It sounds like you guys are a great support so if you do want to get in touch with your local Net Zero hub please um, check the links in the description because we'll make sure that you can get connected to your local Um, critical friend. Um, So next up, um, John, so why are local authorities developing net zero projects and what's driving this agenda?
0: I think the approach this country's had to decarbonisation to date. Um, We've kind of done it in the order of the most carbon intensive fuels. So the last decade was all about offshore wind farms and coal power stations. Um, That's largely been successful now. So the next kind of phase of decarbonisation for the UK is going to de-phasing out fuels like petrol, diesel, heating oil, gas. Um, they're not remote, they're very local, they're very personal. It's what we use to heat our homes, drive our vehicles, power our businesses. So the next phase has to be a local approach and it needs, um, so local authorities are very much going to be at this the centre um, of this net, next phase of net zero delivery. Um, when we were set up um, as hubs about three and a half, four years ago, um, just before that, um, Bays, um helped all the LEPs, the Local Enterprise Partnerships in the region, commission regional energy strategies. And that was to look at um, how local economies can contribute to meeting the UK's carbon budgets. And what they found is... Um, these kind of local organisations were quite good when it came to offshore wind, nuclear power stations, the big projects, but they had a bit of a blind spot when it came to all the other sectors that need to be scaled up. So things like um, building insulation, um, uh, renewable heating systems, electric transport, um, solar panels on roofs. Um, Collectively, um, all these smaller projects have equally, or if not more, big, as bigger impact as some of those big infrastructure projects, but they're, um, like I say, it wasn't coming through in the local strategies, so um, that's primarily why the hubs were set up in the first place, was to provide additional resource to local authorities to make the most of these um, new technologies. Um, since we were set up, the whole language around climate change has changed a lot as well. Um, we were It was originally the 80% by 2050 target when we first formed, and that very rapidly moved through the whole language of the climate emergency driven by um, local political action like the school strikes, Extinction Rebellion, and then the UK government formally adopting the net zero target by 2050. So we've actually seen this great political alignment as well um, of public awareness and sentiment for all kind of moving in this uh, coalescing around this ambition to be net zero by 2050. So now, um, in that space of time, about 336 of the 409 councils, like roughly four in five, now have local climate emergency declarations and action plans to um, show that kind of local commitment to these national targets as well again there's a massive scale of investment needed to deliver that as well um, so we help both on the kind of project development side and um, we're all about scaling up um, other organizations deal with innovation and startups but we're very much about scaling up proven technologies and solutions um, and then helping local authorities identify uh, the right business models to bring in that investment um, yeah, some of that is gonna be public investment but a lot of it is gonna be coming from personal retail investors or um big private investment as well. So we've seen yeah, people like Bristol City Council as early movers, yeah, mobilising a billion pounds in infrastructure projects, other councils investing, yeah, sixty million like Warrington in solar generation and power storage. Oxford are doing great work on innovation, um, around smart grids and um Uh, they've got a new super hub for electric vehicle charging. Um, So yeah, they're great, they're the first movers, but we also want to get across that this isn't all about um, big cities. Um, Like, Local action has to happen everywhere, even in um, the kind of less well-resourced rural areas as well. So um, that's what we're here to do, is provide access to support for all local authorities, no matter where they are on that kind of net zero journey. And, yeah, making the best, given that there's this background recently of public sector budgets being under pressure, um, Yeah, we're there as an extra resource to draw on and provide a bit of capacity. And we also want to make the case that there is an opportunity for local authorities to be more enterprising in this space um, and then kind of sh- share that best practice from around the region, help local authorities get the teams in place to make this a sustainable um uh, model for delivery um, within their organizations and across their kind of it's not just their own estate it's the whole area that they can influence um, through planning housing business support um, and yeah that's only multiplied with all the kind of recent energy crisis stuff um, so yeah we think all these solutions all these challenges have a common solution which is local net zero and energy
1: Thanks, John. Um, That was great to hear, especially um, the examples that you provided. It feels like there is a big shift to looking at how do we deal with the challenges faced through net zero um, very differently, which is quite exciting, but also quite overwhelming. So going into the next part, Peter, um, what are the most common challenges that you see from local authorities um, on their journey to net zero, having have that reach as a net zero
3: hubs? well thanks Neilam. and I think john 's touched on some of those points, but i 'll expand on them a little bit and Local authorities have been active in sustainability and climate change for two or three decades since um, one thousand nine hundred and ninety two and the rio earth summit so there 's a long track record of local authorities um, acting as leaders and, and conveners and actors in their local areas to try and uh, tackle some of the major challenges that local areas face, which have a global impact as well um, but I think the real way to look at this is probably to to draw down on um, what's happening within the local authority and what's outside of a local authority's control that's impacting them as well. And recognising there's a lot of good practice that's going, along, uh, going on, which John and Paul have already alluded to. Um, so within councils, we see quite a disparate range of um, issues that they face to try and uh, address an agenda like this, which they don't have a, a, a statutory responsibility for. They've got responsibilities for a range of things, housing, spatial planning and the like, but they don't have one single duty or power that says they must deliver on their net zero ambitions or on the government's uh, national national government's uh, net zero commitments um, under the, uh, the Climate Change Act. So looking within the council, we see a range of um, uh, capacities for individual local authorities to to deliver on their net zero ambitions. A shortage of staff with the right knowledge, the right skills, and the level of agency, the ability to act within their local authorities to, to get projects uh, delivered. Um, even if there is um, a net zero ambition through a climate declaration, as uh, John referred to, um, we see some of the smaller local authorities lacking in in terms of having dedicated staff, or even if there are staff or teams set up, they may be on uh, short short term tenures, uh, funded for uh, a short working uh, short um, short time in order to get things moving. And really, there needs to be a more sustainable uh, way of um, keeping um, keeping the the whole action planning and, and moving to delivery alive, in order to achieve net zero um, with this within the locality so we also recognize that local authorities are democratic organizations they they have politicians um, and politicians make a significant role in contribution and that cannot be underestimated and those local authorities um, that have um, democratically accountable um, approaches that um politicians are supportive of there can be a real driver for action and in some cases however that could also put a brake on things so uh, despite the strong evidence that's being presented um, particularly the scientific and the uh, economic uh, arguments around um, investing in, in net zero we witness different levels of appetite from both politicians and senior executives in addition to the culture of some councils which can shape their appetite around investment And some of the activities that will deliver net zero are um, investable they they give uh, financial return uh, as well as the the wider co-benefits to the locality around job creation um, reducing fuel poverty helping to cut carbon and the like we see a few of the local authorities that are uh, active uh, heavily investing in renewable technologies and they're directly benefiting Excuse me, Through uh, new revenue uh, revenue streams, opportunities to generate uh, cash that they can then use to deliver local services uh, beyond uh, the decarbonisation agenda. So, and some local authorities, unfortunately, are missing out on that. And there are really really strong investable cases around solar uh, solar photovoltaics, for example, um, where the power can be used within a building and uh, be able to deliver um, straight bottom line savings. So. Um, other areas within the Council um, could be around um, the appreciation of the urgency for action, and we've seen that over the last few days, uh, last week's um, uh, issue, uh, particularly with extremely high temperatures linked to climate change. And so, there is an urgency that um, needs to be um, accepted and realised uh, in terms of the actions that take. And finally, internally, um, the way that councils are set up—they're democratically structured organisations spending uh, public taxpayers' money—so um, they have to be democratically accountable, and that leads to um, various steps that they need to go through to make decisions, and that can slow down the the pace of which uh, justifiable projects um, can be delivered. So, when we look outside of the council, some of those factors. Um, that they experience that are beyond their control can impact how they deliver projects. And one of the key ones is funding and finance. Access to capital is critical to be able to realise the benefit of some of the actions to decarbonise either an organisation, a house or a place. And the default position for many councils is that they rely either on public competitive funding pots or prudential borrowing. Now that borrowing is in effect a government loan, which has to be paid back. Now, it really depends on the experience of the local authority as to whether they're uh, they have the appetite to um, chase the funding or the the capacity to do that. It's a very competitive nature uh, of many of the funding opportunities that come forward. And invariably that creates winners and losers. Those that are good at bidding and have a track record and a capacity to bid for money and access finance to, to fund their decarbonisation plans. And those that... I haven't got the capacity or the uh, experience in doing that. So that can be a blocker to some of the smaller local authorities in particular that are trying to decarbonise in their area. Allied to that is accessing the tools and the equipment and the technologies to be able to undertake um, net zero projects. So local authorities have to follow um, public procurement processes and legislation and and in the case of energy, it's such a dynamic and fast moving market that sometimes the processes that local authorities, the hoops they have to jump through, can be a barrier to action, particularly around purchasing the right solution. And outside in the market, um, it's quite difficult for the supply chains to realise um, the sort of the scale and opportunity because of the stop start nature of the funding that comes forward. So some of the, the suppliers and the installers of some of the technologies. Um, are find it difficult to engage with um, both the local authorities in the way that these projects are funded because of the stop-start nature and some of the procurement solutions that uh, local authorities have to work to. And finally, um, a couple of issues around the state of energy and the energy system and the energy market. We talk about that energy as a thing that flows through to our bills, but it is a very complicated way that we generate move and um, use, consume the electrons or the gas or whatever the uh, the energy source is, and particularly if we're moving to a, a world that is more electrified, it's a very complicated way that the electricity and the power moves uh, across the system. And for a local authority um, that is relatively new to the market and new to this area of uh, technical complexity with its own jargon and its own layers of organisation that can be a barrier and it can um, stop them um, taking advantage and being uh, more fully engaged. And we've seen over the last few months how volatile energy costs are and that impacts the, uh, the investment or, um, profile of projects. So the challenge will come for local authorities who are looking at undertaking a project they then see that prices are changing, that supply chains are, are, are varying because of the, the nature of um, what is a global market, and that can make them uncertain or unsure about continuing a project and whether it's investable. So all of these challenges really um, are experienced by, uh, in different ways by different local authorities. Notwithstanding that, we see some really good practice out there. So uh, our role is to try and help local authorities overcome some of those barriers.
1: Thanks, Peter. Some really big challenges there, and it may seem very daunting, but Paul, can you please enlighten us with some good practice that you see in overcoming some of these challenges?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So Peter's given you know quite a few really really good um, pertinent examples there in terms of the challenges that we um are faced with as a net zero hub when um, engaging with uh, these um, different public sector organisations on um moving forward with regards to their net zero project. So, um, yeah, one of the things that's come up quite a lot um in the discussion so far um is around the sort of shortage of capacity to progress projects um. And we've often seen um, in in order to address that, you know, many councils and I think John sort of gave some really, really good examples earlier that have built, you know, good, strong climate change teams. So Bristol, Oxford, for example, um, and these um, climate change teams have really been sort of instrumental in sort of taking forward their plans and projects. but what we do find is that, you know, we've got just in the greater southeast alone, at 136 different local authorities. Um, a lot of these are the sort of much smaller districts and boroughs, and they've had to sort of bear the, a lot of the brunt of um, sort of cuts to their budgets and services over the last um, 10 or more years. Um and a lot of these smaller local authorities, you know, in the, abs- in the absence of actually having a dedicated team, um, that's where they look more for the support from the hub in order to be able to help them, you know, to provide more resource and capacity to um, progress and move these projects forward. So this is a few examples of that where we've actually um, helped them to um, progress these projects. Um, we've done quite a lot of um, initial assessments for solar farm feasibility studies, um we've got different sort of tools that we use we use a tool called PVSYST for example um, where we can sort of look if a local authority wants to develop a sort of solar farm on a specific area of land we can um, use this software to build to give them an initial um, idea of what that would cost what the payback what the return of investment would be um, what the internal rate of return would be for that project And so that this then enables them to work in um, and discuss internally whether they then think that, that yeah it's worth them taking that project forward. Um, we also sort of look to um, pre-qualify um, funding bids as well that they're they're, they're looking to, to undertake. So particularly when they're looking at um, with a public sector decarbonisation scheme, um, for example, um, where they've been looking to retrofit a lot of their public buildings. So we can sort of advise um, around just being able to understand again using a lot of tools and software that we've got um, what. Specific buildings or sites that they should focus on in terms of what would generate, you know, the best um, rate of return. What would generate the highest level of um, carbon savings, etc. And what we've also done as well, um, we, we've helped to um, commission a lot of research to help local authorities to try and overcome specific issues, um, particularly where they've got like huge, significant commercial developments are happening within their areas and where the local authorities is you know, part of that investment. So we've undertaken a lot of um, technical studies um, around these developments into looking at, you know, what would be the most suitable heat or power solutions, particularly in terms of from, from an innovation perspective as well, because one thing that we do have have within the um, net zero hub is you know we, we do a lot of you know horizon scanning as it's known in terms of looking and seeing what sort of future technologies um and innovations are emerging so just like as an example of that as well um down on the, on the south coast um one of the sort of projects that we've we've been looking at and advising on is actually using um sewers as a way of providing heat and um, this has then helped to unlock um, heat network investment funding. And now we're sort of helping that specific local authority there to explore private finance um, around up to a value of around 16 million to try and develop this into a much into an actual um, fully applicable um, project. Um And on another project, we're helping a new mixed development on the edge of a town, and that's looking at, you know, whether a local grid with its own power generation storage could be a way of minimising the cost of connecting to the regional power network. So that's involved us working very closely with that local authority, with the distribution network operator, just to try and, you know, alleviate, just try and find, you know, a new innovative solution to that um, issue around grid capacity there for that development. But also what we're very keen to do, as well as actually providing that resource um, as, in order to address these challenges, I think what we also want to do is be able to share the sort of knowledge and skills I mentioned earlier around um, getting local authorities and public sector organisations to talk to each other to um share good practice but what we also try to do as well is um we we develop a lot of materials um for local authorities and other public sector organizations that are based you know specifically on their on on their needs so we've got on our um, website alone for example a number of different hub guides that we've produced um and these topics because we are, we appreciate that um a lot of the um staff that work within the local authorities and stakeholders that we engage you know they, they're don't they have a very varying level of knowledge and experience themselves so yeah these are very sort of entry-level information Um, just to try and get those that are interested in net zero projects get a better understanding of how things work such as you know how the power network operates for example Um, trying to understand you know the energy markets as peter uh, mentioned earlier um and also just to build, to, yeah, how do you manage risk in, in, in large scale projects, you know, particularly where you're developing solar farms, for example, and generating and selling your own um, power. So there's a lot of complexities around that, but we try and sort of condense that information, and just really tr- just try and make um, stakeholders more aware of, you know, what, what, what that entails. Um, what we've also done as well to support this is that we've run a number of um, events, um, for example, around um, finance, um, electric vehicles and planning policy. And these have been webinars where we've had, you know, local authorities and experts that have got, you know, done a lot of work in this field to be able to talk and share their experience. And some of those webinars we've produced specific guides off the back of. Um. So we did, we've did. we done like, you know, electric vehicle um, infrastructure guide. We've done a planning for net zero guide. Um, we also try to work with um, organizations um, to try and you know help with project development as well so we've obviously done quite a lot of work with um, KTN we did a um, innovation exchange where we um, and this was kind of driven by um, requests that we had from many local authorities to look to decarbonize their big engine fleets um, and off the back of this we did this um, innovation exchange which is essentially a um, soft market tested exercise um, just to try and understand um, what sort of new innovative solutions are out there for fleet decarbonisation and that's then led to um, the emergence of a wide a number of you know specific projects that the local authorities have been able to take forward on that, including you know a sixty million pound project to decarbonise um, a whole bus depot and fleet of thirty buses, a whole study around um, the applicability of um, hydrogen as a solution for decarbonising a fire engine fleet. So quite a, a wide you know range of new innovations um, that 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 come off the back of a lot of these events that we do and specific projects um, that that develop. But what we also do as well um another way is, is also just in terms of that knowledge sharing just getting organizations to understand what the policy and regulatory environment is for, for projects and what's you know sort of emerging through government consultations so we under we, we do respond to a lot of the consultations um that come through from the government different departments within the government so for example um future building standard consultations and more recently a a call from Ofgem uh, to to input into system governance and we just tried to share that um, consultation with many of the local authorities and we've started in some cases to run um, sort of webinars on that to enable them to be able to contribute um, to those consultations from you know because we feel it's really really important as was mentioned um, both by Peter and John earlier to really get the, the local authorities and get their voices heard more by central government so they the you know the hub in you know the hubs in a way you know where we sort of help to bridge that, that gap between the two so addressing these consultations is you know one of the many ways also that we do that but then we also um in in order to be able to you know share that you know share the learning share the experience and share the um issues and con uh, and um, challenges to sort of a local government level with central government we do interact quite um, closely um, with them looking at you know the, these issues so not just within um, the business energy and inf- industrial strategy department that we're funded by we also have yeah you know, we work very closely with the department for transport we work closely with the heat networks delivery unit the um, office for zero emissions vehicles so yeah we have very good working relationships with relationships with all those organizations to be able to you know share learning around um you know, what, what challenges local authorities and other public sector organisations at a sort of more local level have been faced with. Um, in terms of pub, and, and Peter uh, mentioned around procurement as well. Um, so, you know, we work with a lot of public procurement framework providers. So CRAM Commercial Services is one example, um, just to find, find the right purchasing solutions for local authorities, because this, again, is a, a, a real barrier Um So we've um, developed procurement solutions through um, dynamic purchasing solutions for housing retrofit, for example, where some of the local authorities, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, the smaller local authorities, haven't got access to support um, around retrofit coordination or access to technology um, supplies. So having this um, sort of dynamic purchasing solution in place um, really helps them in terms of being able to sort of move forward with their housing retrofit projects. Um, And it's probably worth mentioning as well that, you know, there's much wider benefits just beyond um, looking at carbon reduction investment return um, so a lot of the, the projects you know for example when you're just looking at housing retrofit um, you know there's is arguably you know some very positive impacts on health and wellbeing from actually having you know people living in better quality homes better insulated homes um, and obviously then the cheaper um, energy bills particularly in the current environment that you know can can arise from that um, and so without our retrofit work with local authorities and we've helped them to access not only the funding but also growing the supply chains um, to act, that basically helps to accelerate the delivery um, of a lot of these retrofit projects. Um, but then and obviously there's economic benefits from that as well not just from the suppliers of renewable heating and power systems but also um, there's a real opportunity there for new skills and employment opportunities through the ongoing maintenance of those um, specific technologies as well and the, you know the, the green economy you know it's, it's actually growing a lot faster than the uk economy so there's a real um opportunity there to really try and support and stimulate growth in a local area um what we're also seeing as well is you know much wider benefits to so a better planned coordination and just trying to you know make it because we've got a very strong um relationship that we've developed with the um distribution network operators um and this has helped us to unblock a lot of stalled projects um for example you know f- for specifically around decarbonisation um, decarbonization of heating or changing to changes to specifically to building um energy ar- arrangements so um we've been supporting as I mentioned earlier a lot of um Local authorities in delivering the public sector decarbonisation projects, and we've so far supported around 138 million pounds worth of um, projects, Um, and that's led to about 105 million of these um, being funded through the um, three um, current previous rounds of um, government public funding on this. But one thing that we've sort of found with, with within that support is that you know 68 million pound of that has been stalled um, projects and we've um, through work through our relationship with the distribution network operators and talking to um, the, the government and also salix who actually administer this funding we've managed to unblock 68 million pounds of these stalled projects because um, a lot of them has been down to the sort of issue around grid connection and grid constraints so there's a real strong role for the um, hub to play in in terms of that and we've also been helping the dnos and i think the distribution network operators, which, you know, uh, I believe Peter alluded to earlier in actually um, working more proactively, really, with local authorities and trying to get that message across that it's really important to engage when you're looking at, you know, upgrading a heated system or, you know, where, where basically you're going to be drawing more capacity from the grid, you know, you need to sort of engage with the DNO, um, the distribution network operator at the earliest um, possible opportunity around that.
1: Thanks for that, Paul. Um, just conscious of the time on this podcast, um, if we can just... John, I think you're going to join us for the concluding comments.
0: Yeah, Um. so I think some of the main points I just want to conclude on is local authorities don't need to act alone in this space either. Um. Like there's all sorts of stakeholders locally. We've mentioned the kind of utilities, like the water companies, Um, the gas companies, the electricity grid operators, they're all going to play a role in this and we'll certainly be helping to coordinate some of this local activity through local area energy planning Um, and then also bringing in the wider community as well Um, mentioned our support for community energy, we ran the rural community energy fund so we gave out just around two million pounds of feasibility grants to 52 um, parish and community led projects to do um, locally led and locally owned um, developments like solar farms um, and also a lot of villages interested in getting off um, heating oil and onto renewable heating so we supported um, quite a few studies looking at yeah, that sort of kind of heat pump based district heating approach um, one of those in particular um, down in Sussex was partnered with UK power networks in an innovation scheme and they concluded that they could if they kind of coordinated a local transition in a planned way, from oil to heat pumps, they could save the um, grid companies up to 75% in the system upgrade costs, um, versus kind of a random market-led uptake approach. So the more we can do to m- and mobilise social enterprises in the wider community to take some ownership of and be proactive in energy development, and also fuel poverty support with this coming winter, there's a big opportunity there. Um, and like we've recently rebranded from energy hubs to net zero hubs. So that m- reflects the kind of priorities of local authorities looking at the whole carbon cycle. So net zero is kind of emissions on one side, but yeah, carbon sequestration on the other. So we're also going to be developing advice and support for kind of doing robust carbon sequestration projects, both kind of nature-based ones around trees. We're seeing peatland restorations, kelp forest restoration in of the coastal communities in sussex and uh, um yeah so there's big potential on that front as well as technolo- new technologies um developing in places like the thames estuary and the other industrial clusters looking at both um, hydrogen production from offshore wind to then yeah provide other clean fuels to help balance um, various energy demands um, so yeah lots of interesting innovation on that scale as well but yeah so to conclude yeah, We're seeing interest in all these areas um, the work we do with the Innovation Exchange and yourselves. I'm very excited to see how that progresses in the coming months and years. Um, but yeah, we're also um, recently um, talking with the UK Infrastructure Bank and the Green Finance Institute to how do we complement the technology and the business planning side with the finance community. Um, and then, yeah, it, everyone um, is much more aligned in this Net Zero ambition. So yeah, doing what we can to bring everyone together and, yeah, share um, the best practice from around the region and show that, yeah, together we can do this.
1: Brilliant. Thank you, John, um, for those closing remarks and giving us a bit of context as well about this kind of work that you're doing. Um, Yeah, a big part of what we're doing is support groups is to bring all of this together and make sure we're amplifying everybody's voice so it's been great having you guys on this podcast so thank you Peter, Paul and John for joining us today and thank you for listening, all the links are included in the description, there was a lot of content there so please do reach out to your local Net Zero hub because they are there to support you in whichever part of the journey you're at. So don't forget to sign up also to receive our newsletters, we are working with the Net Zero hubs to make sure that we um, share their details and uh, and also to receive information about the latest activities. Um, So finally, thank you again for following us, and we hope you enjoyed that episode, and you'll come back for more. Until next time.
2: Connecting for positive change.